Thanks for listening to the new Numa Godcast today. As always, we ask for your support, and there are several ways you may do so. The first step is subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on iTunes, Anchor, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and many more. Did you know that testimonies are one of the biggest ways to build credibility? Well, that's why we need the following to happen, which is one of the most important things we may ask from you. If you're on iTunes, once you subscribe to the podcast, immediately before life kicks in and you forget about it, rate the podcast in two easy steps, which are only available on iTunes. First, give us a five-star rating, which gives us more visibility in the podcast rankings. And after you rate the podcast, write an inspiring comment about the podcast that will tell others why they should listen to the podcast. Second step, follow us on your favorite social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Parler, and YouTube. Third step, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Fourth step, subscribe to our email list at newnuma.com forward slash subscribe. Last but not least, notice how none of the above steps cost any money. However, if you care to give to the mission, you may send as little as 99 cents per month up to as much as you would like to send into this ministry. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash new dash numa and scroll down to where you will find the support button. Click there and the rest will be clear. Once again, we appreciate you and your support. This is Norm from the New Numa Godcast. Peace. You are tuned in to the New Numa Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, a.k.a. Professor and Justin Foster, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to be good. Peace. So let's get right into it, man. First of all, welcome to New Numa Godcast, man. It's good to finally have you on here. Man, appreciate you, bro. I'm, I'm here. Let's Let's get it. Yeah, man. So, you know, first of all, um, going back, man, I first discovered you around probably like 2004. It had to be 2004 because that was when I met this guy named Rashad Clinton. And Rashad Clinton was doing videos, and he had this company called Nutritious Visions. And he apparently had um, interviewed a lot of Christian hip-hop artists. And uh-huh. so you were, you were one of the ones that he interviewed. And okay. um, so when I saw that, you know, I, I wrote down all the names of the people that he was interviewing because I wanted to see, okay, well, what are they, you know, what is their music like? And when I started to check out your music, man, I was thoroughly impressed. And um, and that's mm-hmm. something, I'm going to be honest with you, man. For me, that's something kind of hard for me to get impressed with somebody's skills because I'm a lyricist mm-hmm. type of person. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I look for things like that. You know what I'm saying? Like the way that put people put words together, you know, how they how they do whatever they do. I I actually pay attention to the wordplay, the metaphor, similes, all that stuff. So 
I was really, I was like, wow, this is the dude that, this is one of the dudes that I'm definitely going to be listening to. And then fast forward some years later, um, that's when I actually met, I met you on, uh, well, I guess it wasn't really technically meeting you, but I came across you on uh, Facebook. And then I just, I added you as a friend on there. And that was when I was doing my event called Word Life Cafe. And uh, I and I reached that. out to you. Yeah, you remember? Yeah, yeah I remember so, that. Yeah, man. So that was me. I reached out to you, and we were never able to at that time, you know, uh, connect that up and make you know make it possible for you to get to Baltimore. But you know, here it is, years later. You know, what I'm saying now, I'm finally able to, you know, reconnect with you in another way. And I just want to tell you something, man. Um, yeah. There was a time I was working at this company. Um, I was mm-hmm. working at this company on a contract. It was in 2009. And when I was at this company, there was this guy who was a Muslim. And um, he was very much like he was a hip-hop head, but he was a Muslim. And, and he was one of them kind of dudes that, you know, he was really strong on that kind of stuff. Plus, he was getting into the Masonic stuff or whatnot. And it got to a point where... One day, you know, I was I was listening to you, and um, you know, um, I was listening to that song. You could take the shirt off my back, you know. And then, anyway, so I was listening to that song, and um, and I was like, "Yo, I need to um, I need to let this dude hear Jafia because he be talking all this nonsense about different things. Let me put him onto some real hip hop on a Christian." on a Christian wavelength and, and see what he says about it. Mm-hmm. So I gave mm-hmm. it to him. I said, yo, check this out. So he listened mm-hmm. to your, your music. He was like, yo, who is this? And I was like, yeah, you like that, don't you? <laughs> and, and see, and see, one thing you got to know about me, man, that um, I'm one of those kind of dudes because my background as far as like when I was in my, you know, my late teens into my early twenties, I was in the military. And at that time I had, um, I had backslidden and I was basically doing my thing, going to clubs, parties, whatever. And, um, and I got into a, you know, at that point in time, I was really into a lot of, uh, you know, the secular hip hop artists like Mob Deep, Nas, Biggie, you know, people like that. Mm. And, uh, so that was my flavor. And then when I was, when right. I came back to the point where I was like, okay, uh, okay, I'm going to, I'm rededicating my life to the Lord and I'm getting myself together and whatnot. And by the mm-hmm. way, you got some background noise. I just want to make you aware of so that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Up. I'm not sure. Let me, let me know if you can hear it now. No, I don't hear it right now. But um, <clears throat> so basically... Yeah, oh, okay. I'm all right. When I'm not talking, and hopefully okay, all right, that's cool. I'm in, I'm in a house with nothing really going on around me, so I'm not sure what the noise right. is. But yeah, no problem, man. No problem. So anyway, um, at that time, I was like, um, I was telling, I, I was basically like I said, I was coming back to you know serving the Lord, and then it was like this is 1995, and I made a decision that you know. I'm trying to, you know, um, I, I was basically back on fire for the Lord. And then at that point in time, you know, I was transitioning over, you know what I'm saying, still trying to 
I guess you could say, come out of the some of the worldly things that I was involved in and whatnot. And then next thing okay. you know, it's 1997, and Wu-Tang Clan comes out with uh, Wu-Tang Forever. And so when they came out with that, I was really, I got, I got upset with uh, Christian music, really. I really got upset at that point because it was just something about that album that just really set me off. And I had, I had a conversation with God. And I said this on a lot of my podcasts, but I always like to make it clear when I'm talking to certain artists, especially like yourself, um, that it was at that point I made, I said certain things to God and um, not to rehash it because a lot of people have already heard it. But the bottom line is I wanted better Christian hip-hop music. I was tired of the garbage, the whack stuff that I was hearing, and I was like, we need something. We need some real stuff that I would like to hear, and I know that the world would be like, yo, that's hard, you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. um, so that's why when, when I came across certain artists, and um, specifically speaking of you, I was really like, oh, man, I could definitely promote this to somebody that's not saved. <clears throat> and so, excuse me. So basically I was like, you know, I always wanted to be able to have some kind of music that I could put up against the music in the world to say, yo, our stuff is better than yours. Like I literally wanted to be like that. Like this right here will crush anything y'all got. So you could just put that to rest. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And okay. so, um, so when I had this guy listen to your music, it was because I was so convinced that he was going to be just going bananas when he heard your music that I was like, yo, just check this out, man. And, and, and see, see what I'm trying to tell you. You know what I'm saying? Like, so when he listened to that, he came back, he was like, yo, this is Christian. Yo, he's hard and he's Christian. Oh, I can't believe it. You know, he was just like, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was feeling proud, proud of Christian hip hop at that moment. I was really proud of what you were doing and how it impressed him because I knew what kind of person he was. And so bottom line is I'm just trying to let you know, fam, that, um, that's how much I really was feeling your music and how much I know that it can impact people when they hear it. So that's kind of my introduction mm-hmm. as to who Jafia Life is. So now I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm you know, Jafia Life, hip-hop artist from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, you know, born and raised here, you know, so. Um, kind of just grew up outside in the culture, you know, surrounding, you know, the culture that was like, you know, we lived right amongst and it was in close proximity to us, you know what I'm saying? So hip-hop culture is, you know, the, the culture that, you know, I, I say that I come from, you know, um, black, I call it my generation's black folk music. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, so that's that's the culture I come from. Um, that's the music I make, um, you know, try to pride myself on being an artist and a lyricist, uh, you know, and, you know, but wearing a couple of different hats just in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, put on the executive hat when need be when you're independent. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning then, fam, because um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as far as, like, 
who you are, where you're coming from. Like, talk about, like, what it was like for you growing up in Philly. Man, so, you know, I'm I'm from West Philadelphia, uh, you know, just a just a cat that young cat with a with a with a with a sister that's four years younger than him, grew up in a household with both parents. Uh, my father's a Bible teacher. My mother's just a you know praying Christian Bible believing um, black woman, um, you know that loves her community, that loves her family, and you know they're still together. I grew up in a two parent home, um, unlike you know some of my friends, but you know I. You know, just a regular kid in Philly growing up and, you know, just understanding that, you know, at an early age that I was I was an artist. You know, I, I always knew that I was an artist, just being somebody who was always either drawing or painting or, you know, um, always listening to music and, you know, dissecting it. Even before I was in the hip-hop, just in the, in the house, in my grandparents' house with my uncles, you know, the music they played, whether it was jazz, whether it was, you know, um, you know early, early hip-hop stuff or, you know, whatever they played. Uh, my grandparents had a lot of records in the house, you know, from, you know, Barbara Streisand, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Mahalia Jackson, um, the, you know, Andre Crouch, you know. So uh, just being, you know, a bit more cultured, I feel like, than some of my other, you know, associates that I grew up around. So, yeah, uh, you can get okay. into it, though. Whatever you want to know, we can go We can go with it. Yeah, fam. So bottom line is um, – you were in West Philly, and I've heard a lot of things about West Philly, how how tough it is and whatnot. Um, and I think, is Kensington in West Philly? Nah, Kensington is in North Philly. Oh, North Philly. Okay, okay. Yeah, Kensington right. is well, in North um, Philly. Okay, so when you were growing up in, in, in West Philly, I mean, definitely with being in a two-parent home, um, what was it like as far as like, you know, cause I know you had a lot of friends that didn't have that. So how was that looking for you as compared to those that were in a single parent home? How, now, how was what again? Now, how, how did you, if you were to compare, you know, the situation of you being in a two parent home versus them being in a one parent home, how would you compare mm-hmm what your situation was like, your life. Right. Compared to their friends. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I grew up with a bit more guidance, um, with a bit more structure, with a bit more, you know, discipline. Um, you know, so I think that was a big I think that was a big difference that contributed, you know, to my rearing and, you know, just how I was raised. Uh, my friends, you know, like I don't. I don't think that, you know, they knew, you know, what if they didn't know what it felt like to have a father. Some of them, you know. So I don't know if they. I can't speak for them in terms of if they missed it. You know, um, I'm sure they desired the presence of their father. You know, but you know, it, it it was it was interesting because me growing up. You know, my dad being a Bible teacher, I I grew up feeling like my dad. Now, me and my dad are like, you know, we're real close now. I grew up feeling like my dad put the church before his family. You know, that's that's how I that's how I felt. But I was I was a kid then. You know, I was a teenager. 
you know, and even a young adult, I felt like that. But um, you, you know, I, I felt I felt like that was something that you know really affected me. So you know, I didn't really grow up feeling like I had the protection of my father in terms of what I was dealing with personally, especially like in the neighborhood or like at school. You know, because my my parents grew up, you know, saying things like, you know, turn the other cheek and, you know, stuff like that. But I'm like, listen, I got to, like, my mother grew up a lot like I did. Like, my mom, you know, my mom is, a you know, one of the nicest women you'll meet. But, you know, she grew up in a gang. Like, my mom was in a gang. My dad was, like, more the good one. You know, so my mom, I feel like I relate to my mom a little bit more in terms of just, like, realism you know so my dad grew up around it though too like you know he my dad to this day like he tells me stories about how he grew up and you know the gangs that were in philly at that time when he was growing up and he had two older brothers you know i didn't have any older brothers you know what i mean i kind of like whatever was outside hit me first before it hit my younger sister so um i kind of was like the shield for my sister you know, if you will. You know, a lot of the things that hit me never hit my sister. You know. So so it's so, so um so let me ask you this then. What was it that was drawing you into the the streets when you had a family like this? I mean, was it because it was too strict or or what? What what was it about the life out there in the streets that was drawing you to it? Well, you know what? At the time I didn't even know it was a life in the streets. I just was a kid that was outside, you know, and I felt like, you know, if you got to go to the store and you might, you got to think, like, I know people, they ain't, they ain't really have to, I tell people all the time, like, don't, there's, there's certain conversations I'm not, I'm, I don't I don't think I'm really willing to have with certain people, I say, unless they can tell me they grew up wondering if they was going to make it home from the store without getting a bloody nose. Like if you if that if that wasn't your experience, there's certain kind of, we can talk about a lot of things, but there's certain kind of conversations we can't have a conversation about just because I think that they lack understanding in certain things. Because I've tried to, like I've tried to have conversations with certain people about how I grew up, and they just don't get it because they didn't live it, they didn't go through it. So for me, it wasn't really like a thing where the streets were really um, appealing to me until. I got probably in high school um, because before then we was just outside. You know, the block that I lived on, I didn't really hang on that block, though. Like, I hung on the block that my friends from school, where they lived. Like, where my wherever, wherever my friends from school, that neighborhood that they lived in, that's where I hung at with them. You know, so it was kind of like us just being around each other, being outside and, you know, just looking looking after each other. And, you know, we started seeing how people in the neighborhood were, you know, getting to a bag, you know, at a young age just from, you know, you know, connecting with some of the older dudes and getting, you know, packages from them. And, you know, one of my, one of my friends, I remember he said, he was like, yo, man, he was like, I was always scared to sell crap. He was like, he was like, he was like, he was like, I couldn't believe you actually did it when we was young, and wow. you know, it it wasn't something to me that really scared me. Like I was really trying to get to it. Like, you know, it was all about a dollar for me. Like it wasn't about the, 
you know, the the the, the, the allure of it. You know, I liked being around the older dudes because I always was a, a sponge for, like, knowledge from, you know, people, period, who were older than me, like deacons from the church that I grew up in. Like, my dad was a deacon, you know what I mean, too. So he had friends that, you know, I used to sit with them and, you know, just listen to their conversations and, and just learn. So I was just a bit more advanced. Um, I think than a lot of people my age, and I think some of the, the older guys in the neighborhood took a liking to me because they they noticed that. And then when they gave me packages, I brought I, like if it was like a G pack, and I got like to keep like three hundred, and they kept what? Let me see something. What? Yeah, what? So I get, I bring them back seven hundred, and they keep I keep three. So I brought them packs back in like a day or two. So it was like they was like he really out he really outside like he really out here till like the sun come up like getting it off you know like yeah. fifteen years old so it really wasn't like as much as an allure for me it was just like this way I can get to a bag like my parents ain't gonna buy me the sneakers that I want you know I gotta buy I gotta I gotta I gotta when it comes to the things I want I gotta pay for it and I had a job. So I had a so I had a job in the daytime. I had a job. I was working I think at like Wendy's or something. And I, I would work at Wendy's flipping burgers and I come home to the neighborhood I come home, change my clothes, leave my parents' house, go three, four blocks away to the other neighborhood where my friends live at and I sit out there on, on all night with them on the weekends until like five in the morning. So how did you get away with something like that with your father in the house? I never kept my work in the crib. No, I'm saying like, I, no, I'm not talking about the work. I'm talking about how you get away with staying out that late. Oh, well, it was, it was at, at that time, I was kind of living with, I got kicked out of my parents' house. <laughs> oh, so, so that's I, the story. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. But here's the thing, though. Even in that, when I was living with them, I could stay out as late as, as, late as I wanted to on the weekends. Like, I could spend okay. the night somewhere else on the weekends. So on the weekends, okay. when I was living with them, I still was doing my thing. And as long as I was home by the time they told me to be home, but like 10 o'clock, something like that, 11 o'clock, I, I hustled till 10 o'clock okay. <laughs> and just come home. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? So that was So Wendy's was, was your was. front. So Wendy's yeah. was your front so that you would be yeah. able to say, this is why I'm making money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I never okay. kept the money at my crib. I kept, like, at, at best, the only thing I ever kept at my folks' house in my room, like, under my bed, was, like, money. Like, okay. I never brought no drugs in their house. The only thing I ever brought in their house was, like, a small amount of marijuana. Maybe. Maybe. But I never, I never tried to bring none of that to their doorstep. Yeah, you know, so that you know that don't make me no better than the next person. But no, nah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So as far as like when you were doing that, I mean, what was it that you were thinking about your future? You know what I'm saying? Like, what were you seeing your future? Because right now you're saying you were a teenager, you selling these mm -hmm. drugs and whatnot, trying to get this money so you could buy stuff. But what were you looking at for your future? You know what's crazy, man? I'm not even sure I could see the future at that time. Like I, I don't even know if my I, I don't even think my frontal lobe was fully formed. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it doesn't you know form until twenty five, so I could imagine. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of, right. So I'm kind of like just I'm just out here just living it, winging it. I'm 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 excited that I actually get to you know go to the movies with my own money. I go get some sneakers with my own money. I could take my girlfriend to eat with my own money. I could give her a hundred dollars if I want to. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I could do stuff yeah. like that at 16. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was like I kind of wasn't thinking about the future. I was really thinking about the present. I think that there was like a ting in my spirit and my soul, like every once in a blue, to blue because I grew up in the scriptures. I grew up in the text of, of, of scriptures. So with my father and my family, you know, my father teaching me the scriptures, um, I accepted Christ at a young age. So I was, I was really, I wasn't living for God when I accepted Christ at a young age because I, I look at it as if when I went out into the streets, I kind of look at it as like almost like I was backslidden because I had already accepted Christ as a young age, at a young age. So I knew more about the reality of the the world than I think my friends did. I knew of the, the reality of good versus evil. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It wasn't a figment of my imagination. Like I, I had even felt like at an early age that I knew that there was something about me that was different that I felt like God wanted to use, but I just didn't know what that looked like or when it would be or even if I was right. So I just was kind of li living my life, you know, I was my own, my desires were my God. Okay. You know, you know what I mean? That, yeah. was, that was my God, you know, so, yeah. So after you were, you know, so let's just say you were out there in the streets, how long were you basically out there doing that? I would say I would say off and on for probably about from 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 the time I was like let's say sixteen to about sixteen seventeen eighteen about about till I was about like eighteen nineteen maybe something like that. So what what made you um, stop doing it? You know what? Like I remember my my friend. It was a bunch of us, and I remember my my friend that you know he he his his we knew each other from the neighborhood because <clears throat> he lived in he lived in the neighborhood um, where I used to hang at. So I used to go visit him. But but um, when I so his his parents went to church too. We all went to the same church together. So we knew each other from church and from me being in that neighborhood. So when I knew me, me and him used to me, me leading up to answer your question, me and him used to we used to like teach our other friends about the Bible, like, in a house we used to hustle out of. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <I'm, laughs> wow. Because so, my friends, because my friend, our friends knew that we were the two ones that, you know, was the church kids, and but we was in the streets with them, in the neighborhood with them, but they knew we really were serious about our faith because we can answer questions they had. You know what I mean? So we was answering a lot of questions for them, like, while we was bagging up. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know what I mean? It's just it's just what it is. So so it's kind of like um, when when he pulled me to the side and asked me to walk him to the corner, and he was like, yo, walk me to the corner for a second. And I was like, cool, come on. So we walked to the corner. He was like, yo, I'm about to, I'm, he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. And I was like, all right, cool. Just, you know, hit me when you get back. And he was like, no, I'm I'm moving. I'm leaving Philadelphia. I'm moving. And I was like, huh? I was like, what you talking about? You moving? He was like, yeah, you know, my, my family, they all moving down south to North Carolina, um, and I'm going to go with them. 
he was like, he's like, I'll be real with you, man. He was like, it's just time for me to see what God got for me. Wow. He's like, you should. He's like, you should too. <laughs> right. Wow. And I was just standing there, like, I was like looking him up and down, like, is he serious right now? So like, so then I could see he was serious. I saw yeah. he was serious. I could see the sincerity and hear it, feel it. You know what I mean? So I was like. Okay, well, when did this happen? Like, when y'all decide, when y'all leaving? He was like, we leaving in like a week. I was like, wow. Hmm. So now I'm looking at him. We stand on the corner. It's like still daylight out, but it's starting to get dark. So I'm standing on the corner looking at him, talking to him. But I'm as me and him talking, I'm still looking down the hill at my other friends where we was just standing with them. So I'm looking at him while he's talking to me, and I'm looking back at them, and then I look back at him, and then I look back down the street at my house, and I'm like, damn, like, okay, so if he leaves, that means I really won't have a real spiritual anchor that I can lean on here. That's my age. And I was like, wow. okay. I was like, all right, so this is getting interesting. So he left. He really left. They They moved, and... I remember thinking, like, you know, my other friends just seemed like it was getting more dark and dark and dark. Like, the days were just getting dark. Like, it was getting worse. Like, my other friends were going the other direction. So it's kind of like if I'm going to just stay here with them, I'm going to go in that direction too. So, you know, so, so you know, my, my, my mother called me one day. And my mother just, you know, she plays piano and things, and she's been in, like, gospel groups and stuff like that. So at the church, they were having a, a convention Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday. Now they're going to be learning songs. And then Saturday night is the service slash concert where the choir that came from Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday sings what they learned Saturday night. And it's like a service. Wow. So she invited me to it. Now, I was singing before I was rapping. Like I like I just okay. said, I grew up in a house with a piano in the house. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. my mother said, come. And I'm thinking, like, when is it? She's like, yeah, it's Thursday night. It's like Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday all day, and then Saturday night at the concert. I'm like... I'm like, all right, I'm going to let you know, man. You know what I mean? So, because that was my whole weekend gone. Yeah. Basically. So I, I got to make a decision. Am I going to choose to kick it with my friends all weekend like I do every every other weekend? Or am I going to do something different and go see what she was going on over here at this event at the church? So I'm mm -hmm. like, all right. All right, I got to make a decision. So I made a decision, and I went to the event. I went to the event, you know, I went Thursday night, learned some songs, came back to the next night with my with my, my mother and some, you know, some of our friends. You know, there's a bunch of people there, a bunch of people, learned some more songs. Came back the next day, Saturday, all day Saturday afternoon, we learned songs, practiced for the concert that night. Concert that night, we do a concert, beautiful concert. They give an altar call, right? And it was something about it, was something about it that I just felt like, like this is it, man. Like this is it. Like I'm, like I'm done. Like I'm, like 
I don't have nothing. To, like, I'm not missing nothing. Like, I didn't miss nothing this weekend. In fact, I gained this weekend. Like, the things that God added to my soul this weekend are priceless. You know, so when they gave the altar call, I was the only one that went up there. Wow. In a in a packed church of like five hundred people, I'm the only one that went up there. Wow. The only one that went up there, and I and nobody else came up there, and it was literally the whole church was just looking at me. Like I was like wow. I felt like God did that to kind of like shine a light, so like so like you know, like adversary could see like he's making a decision and he's mine now. Yeah. So whatever you try from here on out, it's wartime. Hmm. And then wow. it just it just was like from then on, it just was like I started seeing like God just like do things in my life like on a daily basis, like just adding things to my soul. And I was just like, wow, like this is like I'm becoming a different person. And I remember going to tell my friends, you know, what happened now, now this is like ninety seven. Hmm. This is ninety seven. You know what? I'm 90, not summer ninety seven. I'm I'm not surprised and I'm gonna tell you why, because I've told people that I've met over the years that a lot of people that I've met um in the last twenty years, the Lord got a hold of them somewhere between ninety two to ninety nine. And so it's kind of like I could, I could see that, but um, yeah, I'm 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 curious though, man, because here's the thing that I've experienced in the past. I've actually I've actually talked to drug dealers in the street, ministered to them, and um, I had a couple of them come to Christ as a result. Um, and the one thing that I noticed is that it seems as though especially if you get them by themselves, one-on-one, one -on -one, that they're very receptive. A lot of times they're receptive to hearing what you have to say. But if you get them around a crowd, a group of people, they'll try to front and try to act hard and whatever and, you know, mm -hmm. act like mm -hmm. they don't want to have, they don't want to talk or whatever. But this one mm -hmm. particular time I was out on the street and um, just out there to actually minister, and we went out there, and um, I saw these two dudes, and I kind of had a feeling because I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to claim that I was ever like a street dude or anything like that. However, I was when I was in the military, I got a lot of mm -hmm. insight into the streets because a lot of the dudes I was hanging out with, they grew up like around that or like that. And so they were teaching me stuff. They were putting me on and stuff. Plus, I was learning a mm -hmm. lot through hip-hop. So, you know, hip-hop was teaching a lot of that kind of stuff, too, depending on who you were listening to. So I started learning a lot about the streets from that. But then um, what mm -hmm. I noticed, though, when, when, it came down to, um, <laughs> when it came down to these guys that I was talking to this particular time, I, um, I sensed that they were running the street, that, that corner area or whatever, like I sensed that they were lieutenants in that, in that specific area. And mm -hmm. I was talking to them. I had them literally pinned up against the wall of this building 
teaching them and preaching to them about the kingdom of God and breaking it down real simple for them to understand. And I got this feeling that after that, something broke in the spirit realm where now we were able to have access to all the other drug dealers that were around there because there was other ones around there. And um, I noticed later that when I was, uh, there was a one particular guy that I came across with a friend of mine and he stopped and he was in a group of about five people and he was the one dude that stopped. But he actually, we actually led him to the Lord and found out that he was the same guy that two weeks before that we heard got shot. <clears throat> Excuse me. So mm, when I okay. heard that, I was like, okay. But it just so happened that the guys that I had just spoken to not long before that, they were across the street now looking. But it was almost as if we had I had the permission, quote, unquote, to interrupt whatever they were doing because of what I did with them. It was like I handled something at a higher level spiritually when I dealt with them to be able mm -hmm. to deal with this guy that was on a lower level. Now, I'm saying all that to say this, man. When you when you were out there, would you say that people that's doing that, that is involved in that lifestyle, do you think that a lot of them are really, they will be really receptive to the right message given to them in the way that, you know, in, in the right way, not like somebody coming with a bullhorn and, you know, on the corner and, you know, yelling at them and stuff like that. I'm talking about somebody coming to them, just keeping it real with them, talking to them about the things about the kingdom and whatnot. You think that a lot of those guys typically would be open to that? Because from what you were saying about the Bible studies, it sounds like it. Yeah, I, to answer your question, I would say yeah, 100%. I would say 100%. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, like like 100%. Man, like I, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I feel like it's the approach, man. I feel like it's the approach, and I feel like a lot of a lot of what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of a lot of evangelism lacks discipleship. Uh huh. That makes sense. Yeah, so basically, yeah. what I what I mean is evangelism isn't making disciples. That's not making disciples. That's just yeah, that's exactly. just sharing the gospel. Yes. Like when people when people like that's why I don't really go out and do street evangelism. Now, no knock to those that do, and I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with street evangelism. It's just not my approach. Yeah. Like my I've I, I haven't done I haven't fared that well. Um, even though I took God with me, I haven't really fared that well oftentimes just randomly going up to people who, like, well, random people on the street and, like, stopping them and giving them the gospel. That has not really been effective for me. Now, I'm sure it's been effective for many, but it's not been effective personally for me. What's been effective for me has more so been building relationships with people, like tangible relationships, becoming in close proximity to these people on a regular basis. You know, building friendships yeah. and with with people, and then my lifestyle and what I what I preach through my my life, not not just what they see me doing, but me actually verbally sharing the gospel too. Um, they get they they it's, it it hits different 
when they when they got a familiarity with you. It's just different. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. You know, so that I, I think they were for sure because when you look at, I always think about Mars Hill when I think about you know New Testament. Like it was all type of people up there just philosophizing. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, and Paul went there. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, that's how I look at the neighborhood. That's how I look at you know, you know the 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 world. I feel like the world. Um, you know, they're receptive to people who they've had other conversations with because it's not just about will they be receptive to us, it's about will we be receptive to them. Because a lot of times street evangelism, I'm not sure how much listening comes with it for the for the believer that's sharing the gospel. Um, I, so it's people who I – here's the thing. I used to do street evangelism, and I actually stopped doing it and told the people who I did it with, I said, I, I can't. It was one group of people. I said, I can't do this with y'all again. I said, because the way y'all approach people in the street is like completely unbiblical to me. It's not, it's not a, it does not even unbiblical. It's not even, um, it's not laced with grace in a way where it should be. I feel like it's, it's, it's like you come in, it's like almost like how I feel like white missionaries go to Africa. It's almost like like we're trying to colonize the the hood with the gospel, and my th- yeah. my approach isn't really colonization. My approach is more uh-huh. so just just discipleship, you know, just building relationships with them. Like my friends that I grew up with, you know, and the people in the neighborhood that I you know hung around and you know they know what I'm like. They know that I I'm different now, you know, so. Um, that's just my approach, but to answer your question, yeah, one hundred percent. I think that you know, from the from the from the kingpin down, you know, I think that all of those people from the stripper in the in the club in the hood, the stripping, um, all of those people, they're always receptive to 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 the gospel and to truth. I think, like, depending on how it's delivered. But here's the thing: there's some people who won't be. Yeah. That's just the nature of that's just the nature of truth. No matter how you give it to them. Like if you exactly. give it to them in the most, if if you give them the truth, even if it's in love, some people are just not going to accept the truth because God, you know, hasn't really um, pricked their heart in that way to be open and receptive to that type of truth yet. So there's some people you have to just pray for. Yeah, you know so. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. So um, so at it in light of that um. You gave your life to the Lord. Now, at what point did you start to focus on music and specifically say, you know, I want to do hip, I want to do hip hop. Man, um, that was like ninety four. That was like ninety four. Um, my friends were rapping before me. My friends, like they already, one of my friends, they were actually in a group and they had actually had an opportunity to put a tape out, you know, and then, you know, my other friend, I felt like they all rapped better than me, you know, and I was, I was like the last one to really rap out of my, all my friends, you know, and there was one day I just free, I kicked the freestyle. Like we used to have like you know them big travel vans from the eighties and nineties that the grand grandfathers and uncles used to have that like they yeah, like uh-huh. sleep they so comfortable on the inside yeah like, 
they might have a bed in that joint. Like we had, yeah. we had, um, we, we used to be in one of those because, you know, the, the landlord for the place where Nate lived, I think that was his van and he used to let us kick it in the van. So truth be told, we used to be in a van rapping and smoking and drinking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you know, so that was like one of our that was, that was like one of our our hangout spots. You know what I'm saying? So in that van. So basically, um, and it didn't even drive. It didn't work. You couldn't drive it, but you could get in and kick it and chill, right? <laughs> like uh-huh. you couldn't go nowhere in it. You know what I'm saying? But that was our hangout. So you know, this one day, you know, everybody, you know, we all, you know, we all blunted, and you know, got forties, and you know, everybody rapping. And, you know, uh, we hot boxing, ain't no windows open in it. <laughs> and uh-huh. <laughs> everybody, everybody rapped and it got to me and I just was stuck. Like, am I, what y'all looking at me for? Like, I'm not the rapper. Like what y'all looking at me for? But, but unbeknownst to them, I always was crafting like bars in my head, but I never said them to them because I was like, they probably going to think, you know, they whack in comparison to them, you know? Yeah. So I just kicked the freestyle. And by at the end of the freestyle, like everybody was kind of like, we like that, like, like, huh. like, wow, like you got to kick another, like kick another one. So I yeah. kicked another freestyle. They liked that one too. So then every day I was kicking freestyles. Now I'm kicking freestyles every every time we get high, we rapping now. <laughs> so we just we just kicking verses to each other, like you yeah. know what I'm saying. So. And they just made me better as a rapper because they were so good, you know. So that was like, you know, when when it got to the point when I actually got an opportunity to actually record music, that was around that was around ninety eight. That was around ninety eight when I got the first opportunity to record music, and I started working with uh, the architect Jude Gavin, you know, Italian you know, God, producer from Philly. You know, he produced my whole first project, Pages of Life. So that was that was what came out of our recording sessions. So I'm not sure how far back you go with my music, but the first album, a lot of people think my first album was Fountain of Life. Fountain of Life was my third album. My first album was Pages of Life, and that actually came out on CD tape and vinyl. I actually got vinyl of it on my wall right here. Oh wow! <laughs> you know what I mean, so that was that, well, was that. You know, we we got a we we got a call. So his his homies, two white cats that moved from Philly to L.A., they started a, a rap label, a hip hop label. Now they wasn't Christian, but Jude was though. Jude did, was and is. Jude is a believer and was then, right? So that was another thing when I met Jude. When I met Rob Hodge, you know, when I met people like that. Oh, I heard I had, you talk about Rob Hodge. Yeah, like Rob is doing his thing now, like as a producer, like on the low right now. But you know, he he um, Sean Blue, <laughs> Sean Blue, that was a DJ. That was a DJ. He's from, uh-huh. he's from he's from he's from Georgia. That was one of our DJs. We really rock. We're real heavy. So, um, so so Jew, me and Jew start recording at his spot in South Philly, right in the hood. So he like the only one of the only white boys in this black neighborhood in South Philly. So, you know, we on the we on his third floor apartment, he got a deck out back and everything, so we could be on the roof. We on the roof rapping and, you know, different people coming through, different artists, different singers from around the city and you know, some names that are known now too used to come through and you know, so it's like that's where I really 
got like like to like groomed like groomed my craft got groomed in in Jude's apartment. I feel like so who 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 were you around? Who were you around at that time? That you saying they know now? Who are you talking about? I mean, you got like Miss Jade that was signed to Timberland. You know, what I mean, you got Maserati wow. Niche. <laughs> Maserati Niche, like she, you know, she real known now. Like, you know, she's from Philly. That's like that's like my one of my god sisters. That's like my family. Okay. Like Maserati Niche is like my family. Like I get up out of my bed and go protect her at three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So like that's yeah. my family, you know. So different people like that. Um um we had another spot that, you know, it was a record shop we used to be at too. And um people like DJ Drama used to come through there, Freeway, you know, you know, different people like that. Um, Deanie Siegel, um, the Roots, um, you know, yeah. a lot of a lot of people, you know what I mean? So so but yeah. at Jude's crib in particular, you know, it was it was it was just it was just a really high concentration of like rap. Rap music and hip hop and you know, I'm watching him on a AR and the ASR ten uh chop up samples and crate dig and sample mini Ripperton and you know, these records, these obscure records, soul records and you know, so I'm I'm just getting to sink my teeth and my, I'm I'm going to sink my creative teeth into like the culture, you know. So, you know, for us, you know, Jew 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 was really you know about you know that hip hop thing and still is from like tagging and graffiti and all that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, so he really <laughs> he really come from from it, right? So white Italian kid in South Philly on the trains tagging stuff and around the city, he really come from it. So I'm like, this is a perfect place for me you know, to really, like, facilitate and incubate my, my, my craft. And, um, you know, long story short, um, he told me, he said, listen, he said, listen, I, um, I didn't want to tell you yet until I knew something. He said, but, you know, the label out in L.A. that I'm connected to, you know, you know, I know you fans of the records they put out with like Roz Kaz and Planet Asia and like Dilated People. These are like vinyl records that was coming out from these artists yeah. from the West Coast on this record label, right? This wasn't a Christian label, uh-huh. right? I mean, so wait a minute, they, they were the ones put out Diggable Planet. Wait a minute, you said Diggable Planets, or you said somebody else? Nah, it was um, it was um, no, you said Dilated, Dilated People. people. Okay, my fault. Okay, they put out some twelve. They put out twelve inches with them. I think, yeah. So okay. So basically, um, basically, he said, yeah, I know, you know, you fans of, you know, the the stuff they put out as a as a company. He said, um, you know, those is my 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 folks. They my brothers. He said, listen. He said, I didn't want to tell you until now. He said, but I let them hear some of your stuff, and they really like it. And he was like. Wow. They said if we do a few more songs and they like them, they'll fly us to L.A. and do a record with us. Wow. This is what, this is what he told me. called me and told me this like 8 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I'm like, I'm like stunned because I'm used to listening to those records coming from that label. I knew that he was connected to them. Those were like his family. But I didn't know them. I didn't know he was telling them about the artists he was he was working with and recording, you know what I mean? So 
Yeah. He, but 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 he was telling them about me. And he was playing on my records that we was recording to his 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 beats. So you know we that that week we cut like a few more records. He sent them to him. A week later, I got a call from him again, like nine o'clock in the morning. He was like, "Get your bags together. We going to L.A." Wow. And 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 that's how it all started. <laughs> like wow. I remember getting to, I remember getting to L.A. and getting off the plane for the first time, being like on the West Coast is like a eighteen year old kid. Because of my music, wow. I'm over here. And wow. I remember looking around, and I remember I came out the airport. It was so bright, I had to, like, cover my eyes. Like, the sun <laughs> was so bright outside. And, like, I remember us riding through different places in L.A., and we went to eat, and they took us here. They took us to the record shop. That, like, they took us to Fat Beats Records, and they said, yeah, they introduced us to, like, the, the people that ran the store, and they said, yeah, your record going to be in here. And I'm looking at all these records on the wall. I'm like, all these new vinyls that just dropped. I'm like, you tell me my re- album, I'm going to have my album is going to be in here too. It was like, yeah, we gonna, they were like, we already got releases in here on these shelves. I was wow. like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then we, I mean, we, I mean, we went to Studio City in L.A. to master the album because it was already recorded and mixed in Philly by Jews. And um, we went to Studio City with them, and um, we mastered it there. And I remember we were supposed to meet Sway and DJ Revolution, but they was taking too long, and we had to leave. And there wow. was just a lot going on because they were saying my name was buzzing out there with the West Coast artists too because it was a West Coast label. I was the only rapper from the East Coast thrown into this ecosystem of West Coast underground hip-hop. It's like classic albums coming out on the underground, though. Wow. So that was the ecosystem of my first album release, Pages of Life, Chapter 1. That's okay. why it's on vinyl. You know what I mean? So I tell people all the time, I don't, I've never, I, my ecosystem creatively was never Christian hip hop. Like that's never been my ecosystem in terms of where I create or pull from. That's not even the origins of my music as a believer. Yeah. The or like my music defied what Christian hip hop told me can't happen. Actually, Christian hip hop uh-huh. told me that the world would never rock with my music. But not because because the world doesn't want to hear truth, they say. Okay, wow. so what does that leave me? If the world don't want to hear my if Christian hip hop is telling me the world don't want to hear my music, then who else is left to hear my music but Christians? So exactly. you telling me I'm about to go? You think I'm about to make a whole bunch of music just for Christians? No, that's not even the culture of music that I come from. That's not even uh-huh. the pocket that I'm you know comfortable creating it. Like that's not the culture. I, the culture of music I come from is came from outside. It came from the streets. Christian hip hop don't yeah. come from outside. It comes from the inside. It comes from the church. Yeah. So so I tell people all the time, <clears throat> that's not something that I relate to or resonate with. Like it's my. I have great friends that are like Christian hip hop artists. Like Eshawn Burgundy just called my phone before. That's one of the reasons I called a few minutes late because I was on the phone with Berg. I had to give him some information. So those are friends of mine, like legitimate friends of mine. And I'm not even sure what if, if Berg at this place, I'll let him tell it if you talk to him what he what kind of music he would categorize himself to do now today. But I know by and large the narrative for him even has been 
Christian hip hop. So it's like those are great friends of mine, you know. So it's not that I don't have friends that do Christian hip hop or people call my music Christian hip hop. So, you know, I don't have a problem with them calling it that. It's just that I personally don't look at my music that way. You know what so, I mean? It's just, it's, you know, it's just not how. So how, how, how do you, um, like, because this is, there's been kind of a, a little bit of a conversation for some years now um, about the difference between if I'm a Christian who's an artist or I'm a Christian artist or I'm a Christian doing music, but it's not Christian music per se or whatever. I'm, so I just want to know, like, when you when someone comes to you and they say, what kind of music are you doing other than the genre? What would you say? Well, I would have to know what they mean besides from the genre. Well, I'm just saying, like, okay, what's the message? Let me ask it that way. Well, I mean, again, that would be pertaining to the song. That would be pertaining to the album. Like, I tell people all the time, I don't do ministry, I do art. I do music. So my music doesn't really have to have a message. My music can just be about my mom. <laughs> like, I can make a whole album about the park. <laughs> like, 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 like Childish Gambino did a whole album called Camp. Like, uh-huh. I can do a whole album called The Park and just talk about the park. Yeah. With no message about this. That's this. The whole album is about the parks. So that's why I think people gotta like stop and think because, um, and you know, I I don't want to not answer your question though when you say, well, what's the message? The message would be, you know, whatever's on my mind and on my heart at that time, whether it be my relationship between my young, me and my younger sister, whether it be my relationship with God, whether it be my relationship with my girlfriend whether it be something I saw happen back in the day, like, it, it, that that just depends. There's never been one message for my music. And I think okay. that's been the confusion for a lot of Christians. Because a lot of Christians think that you have to have a, a specific message for your music, especially if you're a Christian. You don't. Like, that's like saying I have to paint one type of picture if I'm a painter. I don't. Yeah. Like, that doesn't have to be a message. That doesn't mean that I don't have a message. <laughs> it just means whatever that message is, is what it is for that time in terms of that song or that album. No, I feel so, what you're saying because I, I definitely understand where you're coming from because I'm a poet myself and um, I write about a lot of different things. But, you know, I will, I'll write about someone being abused or I might write about abortion or, or whatever. So I do definitely understand where you're coming from with that. And um, and I think that a lot of times what I guess you would say the church is looking for with certain people is that that whatever they say, everything has, you know, the name of Jesus in it or something like that. You know, I'm not – and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying um, that um, – Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. Everybody doesn't have that type of calling, so to speak, or whatever. And and I yeah. think that to a degree, it's almost like like for for what you're doing, it's almost like you can 
infiltrate certain places by the fact that even though uh, it's not like you're trying to hide the fact, but it's like you just happen to do something that unless a person knows you through and through, per se, they might not know right away, oh, he's walking with the Lord or whatever. And then they might yeah. find out later, and then it's like, but that allowed you to be able to kind of start to, uh, in a covert way, you know, give them the gospel, whether they realize it or not, and and right. or show them show them the lifestyle through your through your life. So I definitely get right. it. I get I get yeah. what you're saying. So yeah, I I just don't think because you're a Christian, your music like like let's say my music is meant to be you know about just the gospel. That's just my calling. Like I'm really more centralized on the gospel message. If that's the artist I am. If that's the artist I am, that doesn't mean that the Christian that's the artist standing next to me that that's his calling or her calling. Yeah, yeah. Like her her calling could be just to talk about apologetics in her in, in her raps, or yeah. again, the other guy could just be called to more focus on just the things that he observes. See, here's the thing too: people don't take into consideration, um, like you have to be skilled at sharing the gospel in your music. Exactly. You have to be skilled at sharing the gospel, period. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't do music. Like, you have to be yeah. effective. The Bible says a wise man was so. So it's like... Exactly. Yeah, so it's like just because I'm a Christian and I rap don't mean that I should be rapping about the gospel. I might mess this message up. Yeah. And never, no one ever considers that. <laughs> That's never a conversation. It's always an expectation that only the church has for for Christian art, for artists who are Christian. Because I don't even call them Christian artists until they tell me that's what they do. Like, I don't want to put yeah. them in a box until they tell me to put them in that box. Just because I heard yeah. somebody is a rapper and they're Christian, I don't ask them how long they've been doing Christian hip-hop. Who's to say they do yeah. Christian hip-hop? That Christian yeah. hip-hop is not a prerequisite to art for the Christian. <laughs> for, like, like, like you, you can make whatever kind of music you want, genre-wise. As a Christian, the content just can't go against what you believe. Like yeah. I shouldn't. That's the that's the criteria for me personally. Like my criteria yeah. is I should. First of all, like you even talked about early in the conversation how you share my music with people because of my message. So it's no doubt that my music has gospel themes throughout it. But that doesn't mean that I'm doing that because I think I'm supposed to. Yeah, I feel you. I'm doing that because yeah. God put that in my heart to do genuinely. Like, yeah. if God didn't put that on my heart to do, I would just rap about whatever else I was good at rapping at. That's why that's not the crux of my music. Like, the crux of my music has never been just like, oh, he's like the gospel rapper. Like, I don't, I've never been like, hey, the gospel. It's people who do gospel that say my music isn't gospel. And... I agree with them, <laughs> even even though I sh I've shared and still share the gospel in my music. That doesn't mean that I'm doing that because I think I'm supposed to. No, yeah. I'm doing that because that's what's on my heart to do in my music. God placed that genuinely on my heart to do that in my music when the times that it's done. 
that's how I know it's genuine because it's not just like something I'm doing like, and that's just the slant of all my music. No, when you hear me talk about the gospel and my music, you really hear it because it's, I'm really feeling like it's a need for me to speak about this right now. Yeah. You feel me? And ain't because no. I think I'm supposed to. No. Yeah. I'm supposed well, listen. to. Now, here's the thing, though. I'm supposed to uh, share it, period, outside of my music as best as I can. But when it comes to art, I think that art is for is for art. And I think that art can be abstract. And I think that when you go get into abstraction, you know, I don't want to really make the gospel per se abstract, even though I guess you could say parables are a bit abstract. But I, I want to always, you know, kind of, I'm more of the parable rapper when it comes to the gospel, even though there are times when I directly share the gospel, like clean, cut, clear. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's all yeah, about what God puts on my heart. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.